Who am I? Why am I here? Ask not what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country. I shall not seek and I will not accept the nomination of my party for another term as your president. Tear down this wall. And the wall just got 10 feet taller. We're going to California and Texas and New York. We're going to South Dakota and Oregon and Washington and Michigan. And then we're going to Washington, D.C. to take back the White House. The second floor of the AC building, you're listening to Election Shock Therapy. We're here, guys. The team is assembled. We are. Yay. Enthusiastically here, Chris. We are here. Um, warning: I am. Um, I'm a little tired, and I that makes that is two things to me. One, it makes me a little bit punchy, and two, it makes me a little bit more um, uh, loose-lipped. So I apologize for I, not like the sinking ships variety. I'm not going to give away state secrets, but this is, which you may offend people is what you're. I'm going to try not to. Okay. Try and only because he has no state secrets to give away. Right. I think we that should. you know of. Should we all give a little preface? My warning is that I'm about to leave. Of course so, you yes. are. Because, because you of have... Chris's loop I actually loop don't have a meeting. You have it's a meeting? The, it's the only time I don't have a meeting today, so I need to get some work done. So you have the, you have the opposite meeting. <laughs> That's you have, right. You have the window of opportunity. Yes. Okay. I have alone time. Which <laughs> is very important to you. Hey, can I can I just say, uh, speaking of, of, of alone time, and just to further incense you, I'm going to tell our listeners that... Um, Professor Mulberry uh, was uh, this this past um, uh, this past month at our faculty retreat. We give out our, our, our faculty selected uh, awards. Uh, we give out three of them: award for teaching, award for scholarship, and award for service. And Professor Mulberry is the 2017 uh, faculty award for service winner oh, yeah. at the university. That's a great yeah. honor. So. So is, uh, do you want to talk it? No, because I know you, <laughs> because I know you, uh, talking about it is the thing you want to do the least. Right. Although we were talking about talking about it earlier. Today. But how we talk about how we talk about it is different than talking about it. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> and scene. Uh, Mitchell, do you have a preface to your state of mind as we enter this conversation? Uh, well, as you were saying before, of course, um, I. Uh, my wife just had our baby um, a little over a month ago, so yeah, we're still in the throes of babiness. And he's actually doing pretty well sleeping, but my problem is at this point, I, I think he could almost be qualified for sleeping through the night. He slept. Ooh. He's, he, he's now sleeping for five to six hour stretches, even seven Ooh, hours. Wow. That's pretty good. Nice. But, but my problem is he doesn't go in for those stretches until one or two o'clock at least at night. Okay. And so that doesn't work for me because then I have to get up at five or six o'clock in the morning to get ready to come in here and, and all that. And so um, he's sleeping at the wrong time. Right. So, so you just bump that up a little earlier, it'll be better. Yeah. Yeah. We need yeah, to get him on yeah. a better schedule. I'm not sure how to do that. The way you do that is you wake him up when you get up. And well, that's like, true. You know what? Yeah. <laughs> this Start is when, the day. This is yeah. when we rise. <laughs> problem is my wife doesn't want to get up then. So I was going to say. We have a conflict here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. i got two schedules going on. Well, I'm glad we're doing podcasting today and not yesterday the day before because I actually did get a decent night's sleep last night. <laughs> which was not the case the two nights before. We moved our son into his sister's room so that we could move the baby into his room. And um, it was, uh, it's been a little rocky, but he likes it. But he's been waking up and crying out. And then we have to rush in and try to get him to quiet down so he doesn't wake up his sisters. So hmm. anyway, last night was better. But. Now, uh, Mitch, you saying something about, or Sam saying something about waking up Emerson. Uh you don't wake up a sleeping baby, right? There's no good reason to do that. that that's, that's that's some kind of sin. Well, because it's a baby. Like, even if the house was on fire, like, he doesn't need to be awake for you to get him out of there. Right, exactly. So it's not like he's going to gather his worldly possessions while you go. So, yeah, they're pretty much just allowed to sleep, I think. Mm-hmm. And we, we had a, a friend of a friend who would wake up her baby at 7 in the morning. When like she felt like it was time for the baby to get up, I'm like that, I feel like there's something wrong. Did she like person. play a bugle like that? Would be... <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, a xylophone. Okay, yeah. it's really pleasant. Well, there are, yeah. I mean, there are some people who are super religious about sort of schedules. Is it a religious thing? Put the well, I mean, I, I mean religious in the sense that are you monks? are following particular sets of rules, right? And so, um, they're about yeah, they'll, okay. they'll they'll like the baby needs to eat at this time. So if the baby is sleeping and it's time for the four p.m. feeding. You wake up the baby. And you feed the baby, right? Mm-hmm. Um, we've never been of that school of thought, but um, it's there are you know I know people who are who are into that, so so that's just, one reason to wake up the baby. Imagine being woken up from a dead sleep and somebody <laughs> says, "Eat now." Eat. <laughs> 
<laughs> you got to ease me into that a little bit. Right. Because, yeah, well, you're not two out, months old either. At least for me, eating is easy. <laughs> Sleeping is hard. Don't take away the hard thing to make me do the easy thing. Right. <laughs> yeah. You've been listening to ESP, Election Shock Parenting. That's right. <laughs> well, that just sounds so wrong. Yeah. <laughs> oh, thanks, guys. Um, we're here today. I propose. I pitched the topic today. So here's the thing. We could, like a lot of other podcasts out there, just react to the week's news. And believe me, as I think as long as the <laughs> Trump administration endures, we will have a week's worth of news to react to. I can't really imagine what a slow week for this presidency will, would end up looking like. He's Probably, in Mar-a-Lago and he's not doing anything? Maybe. His phone's battery dies. Uh, he can't Ooh, tweet. Good, uh, good. He throws, he, you know, yeah, I wonder if John his, Kelly's thought about the possibilities of killing the battery. I definitely <laughs> thought about that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like, you know, as a high-ranking military official, you'd think you'd have access to some sort of technology. I'm, I'm sorry, Mr. President. We just don't know why your phone All keeps sudden, going out. We're working on it. No phone reception. We don't understand. <laughs> it's really weird. It is no longer the best property. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I thought we could talk about a little bit something more thematic. Uh, one sure. of the things I hope we can do with this podcast as we roll into this this coming school year is step back a little bit from the inundation of the of the week's news mm-hmm. and think about some broader themes, sort of a, a news digest, if you will. Um, and so here's some partially digested ideas that we could think about. <laughs> I'd like to talk to this this week about crisis. Mm-hmm. There's a, a healthy scholarship about the presidency and crisis and how presidents and other world leaders respond to crises. Mm-hmm. And I kind of want to talk to you a little bit about how this president and our system are built to respond to various kinds of crises. Mm-hmm. And we got a bunch of the board right now. So uh, we, we played a game show last time. We could about mm-hmm. play Jeopardy this time. We've mm-hmm. got, by my counting, two hurricanes. Mm-hmm. We've got um, the nullification of an election in uh, Kenya. We've got the possibility of yet again maybe a vote on repealing the Affordable Care Act. Mm-hmm. We've got uh, well a crisis which has been averted really, which is which is the president making a deal with Democrats to fund the government right. for a few months, um, and we should probably mention that. Plus, we've got crises in North Korea and Iran and Afghanistan and Iraq. Mm-hmm. And what am I missing? Mm-hmm. Probably the the main ones. Yeah. Okay, this is this is at least where we should start. That's right? a good starting point. Okay, well, here's what um, what I wanted to start with. Let's let's start with the the acts of God. Uh, let's start with the hurricanes. <laughs> sure. Um, we've had. Uh, um, I don't need to tell people that we're in the as we're recording this. Uh, um, Hurricane Harvey has decimated Houston, and mm. Hurricane Irma is. It's uncertain where it will make land. It has already decimated um, Barbuda and Antigua and some other Caribbean islands, mm-hmm. but it's not quite clear when, when and if and where it will make landfall against uh, the eastern seaboard of the United States. But uh, this is a terrifying-looking storm. When 300-kilometer mm-hmm. um, winds um, seems like something that you probably shouldn't be anywhere close to. Right. Mitch and I are from Ohio. The storm itself is roughly the size of Ohio. Wow. That's so. crazy. Um, obviously, uh, conspiracy theories aside, the president does not control the weather, right. just to my knowledge. Um, <laughs> so how do natural disasters in the past uh, shape public opinion about the presidency? Uh, George Bush famously ran afoul of public opinion <clears throat> because of his handling of Hurricane Katrina at New Orleans. Mm-hmm. But is there any precedent for expectations or what we can expect for um for President Trump and the handling of, of these of these uh, uh, these storms, uh, the usual expectations. I mean, in terms of uh, well, well, one of the things to think about is we with you bring up Bush. Uh, there's sort of a contrast here. We have two different crises that he faced, yes. uh, major crises that he faced during his presidency, and there's a dramatic contrast um, both in his handling and also um, kind of the situation there. So you have 9-11, which mm-hmm. um, as soon as 9-11 took place, um, President Bush um, was on TV, made statements, um, was very sympathetic. Now, 
there wasn't a whole lot that he did early on. I mean, he basically, you know, shows up at ground zero after a few days and, and, and is there right with the bullhorn, you know, making speeches about <clears throat> how this, uh, basically about how this isn't going to define the United States. And, and, you know, basically mm-hmm. we're, we're going to recover things like that. Um, but, but one of the things to keep, uh, in mind when we're thinking about the president and crisis is there's, there, in many ways, there's not a lot the president can, can actually do, at least early on. Right. So early on when presidents are facing, uh, particularly a, you know, but well, really both any kind of crisis, um, there, there's very little that they can actually do. One of the things that mm-hmm. I always try to, you know, remind students early on is there's this basic, uh, be, be, one of the most basic principles of the presidency is that um, the main power of the presidency is this power to persuade. Mm-hmm. They don't they don't have a lot of um, you know clout in terms of just you know they're 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 only one person is basically what it boils down mm-hmm. to. And if you're only one person, you can't be the person who's out there doing the cleanup. You can't be the person who's managing uh, the disaster relief, you know, distributing food and all that stuff. That stuff is way, way, way down the chain um, mm-hmm. right. from you. And so, you know, when we look at something, you know, like a hurricane coming, you know, the people who are actually on the ground are people like, you know, first responders, like, you know, firefighters and police officers mm-hmm. and, mm-hmm. Um, you know, aid workers and people like that. You know, so those are the people who are actually there doing things. And the president can't do a whole lot about that. Mm-hmm. Now, where the criticism then, and so and so, when we look at nine um, eleven, you know, basically there was a pretty uh, reasonable response by the first responders and things like that. Um, you know, things went as as well as they could have, even all though considered. all things considered, right? Even though actually, and this is sort of an interesting, just to build into my next sort of point to think about Katrina, even though President Bush was actually having trouble communicating with anybody at the time, like the phone True. actually was cutting out um, that he was trying to give orders through. Mm-hmm. And so the order to shoot down planes didn't actually go through, things like that. So, I mean, so the president's, you know, in many ways, if we look at 9-11, um, the fact that the president was really unable to have very much control, even the little bit of control they could have had. Um, mm-hmm. And yet President Bush experienced the biggest um, public opinion bounce um, pretty much ever, basically. Basically, right. um, and so, um, so we look at that on the one hand, and then we look at, on the other hand. We look at uh, Hurricane Katrina. Um, uh, basically, when President Bush uh, went there, he wasn't particularly sympathetic. He didn't get, uh, you know, this is the faint. You know, he eventually did go to to Katrina, but at that point, it was already sort of too late. But the bigger thing to think about, and this is sort of brings back, you know, who's on the ground um, that President Bush became criticized for is he put basically a political appointee who wasn't really qualified to run FEMA, and so FEMA was unprepared for the disaster. The people have a job, right? Yeah. So, so, so there, mm-hmm. so there just wasn't there wasn't a great response and that was pretty much laid at bush's feet not because bush himself could have done anything differently like you know you know the president being on the ground with a bullhorn versus the president looking down through an airplane really doesn't make any practical difference mm-hmm. um but and that's pretty much what a president can do but the appointments um do make a big difference and that eventually can can, can trickle mm-hmm. down and that's where bush uh, became criticized so then when we fast forward to I think your question was, you know, what, what can we expect from the president right now? Um, if we think about what's 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 happening right now with the with the president, mm-hmm. um, you know, one of the things to kind of uh, to look out for is to see are are the president's appointees actually up to the task? Can they mm-hmm. actually um, carry carry things out and um, give give disaster relief and things like that? So, and we're still watching for that. In many ways, um, you know, it, it it's too early to tell. Yeah, I'd add a couple of layers to that, too. I mean, one is um, the issue of federalism, I think we should bring up here, which is that, I mean, kind of to mention this point about the people on the ground playing a bigger role than the president in some ways, right? right. I mean, um, you also have layers of government. I mean, so, like, you know, when you think about the cleanup of Houston, you're going to talk about, you know, how does the city government of Houston um, cooperate with that? How does the state of Texas cooperate with that, right? What should their contribution be? I mean, there's going to be huge financial contributions here, right? Um, so Texas, it turns out, is a really low-taxed state, right? I just saw an editorial saying Texas needs to pay its fair share. I mean, it's its citizens can and should do more, right? Um, it's a big state. They have a big tax base. They don't charge an income tax, right, um, which was nice when I lived there. Um, but they they, you know, they have no state income tax. So, you know, what what should Texas think about as, as part of this? I mean, should this be – how much should this be on them and their very, you know, growing economy – uh, versus on the rest of the country, right? Um, so I think there's there's that federalism piece. I also think it's important to distinguish between kinds of disasters. I mean, there yes. is something about yeah. rallying behind the president in the case of a, a disaster involving terrorism um, that I think happens more than it does with a natural disaster. Natural Why disaster, because there's an enemy, because there's somebody to, who did this, and you can hold them accountable, and the presidency 
is well equipped to do that. It is well equipped to um, send, you know, launch missiles at somebody or to, you know, start some sort of skirmish. And that looks like you're doing something. But, I mean, there's there's nothing to attack with a hurricane, right? I mean, other than the long, slow, hard process of rebuilding, you know, New Orleans, Houston, New Jersey, wherever, right? Um, and so... You know, I think that that makes it harder for that to lead to a big bounce for the president. Um, and I think, you know, the other thing that comes out in Mitch's comments is our optics matter. I mean, like, mm-hmm. you're right in one sense that it doesn't make any difference whether the president's flying, you know, 30,000 feet above the area or down the ground. But in another sense, it does because it shows up on the news, right? I mean, it didn't do anything very practical for George Bush to go climb onto a pile of debris and, you know, talk to people through a bullhorn. They couldn't even hear him well, right? Uh, even with the bullhorn. But... It made great news coverage. The president is there. He understands. He sees what's happening. And he's there on the ground telling the first responders, we're going to respond um, in a timely and appropriate manner. Right. Um, that was great optics. And I think it definitely contributed to people saying, you know, even if we didn't vote for this guy, you know, 10 months ago, we're going to rally behind him now. Yeah. Does this present a unique uh, problem for Donald Trump? Thinking back to more some of our most recent presidents, mm-hmm. over the, even over the last almost forty years, we have had a succession of presidents who, for the most part, and I'll, may, I'll note the exceptions, were uh, quite skilled at being empathy, empathetic. Mm-hmm. Uh, their social intelligence was quite high. Reagan's social intelligence is quite high. Mm-hmm. Um, George H. W. Bush was a more reserved fellow, but. Um, uh, but, but not Bill, bad. But Bill Clinton was maybe yeah. the most empathetic president we've ever had yeah, to his own sure. detriment sometimes. Mm-hmm. Uh, George W. Bush, in his own way, was uh, at 9-11, mm-hmm. uh, showed an, mm-hmm. an, an intense empathy that resonated with people and I think mm-hmm. helped fuel that incredible yeah. spike in popularity rating. Mm-hmm. Br- Barack Obama, much less so. Um, Barack Obama was a more reserved uh, um, uh, figure, mm-hmm. a more analytical figure. Um, but still was able to make sort of an empathetic turn um, at points in his presidency in, in, on, a, a sp- yeah. on particular issues, um, mm-hmm. for sure. Mm-hmm. And he could give uh, a good speech at that moment that seemed to communicate the the pain the nation was feeling, even if he yes. didn't sort of seem super empathetic. I think he was he was pretty good at expressing, you know, this is this is what you're feeling. I'll buy uh, that. Even if it wasn't, I feel your pain in quite the way that Bill Clinton did. Right. I'll, I'll buy that. So. But I'm not sure we've had a president in the modern era who is least geared to be empathetic than Donald Trump. Yeah, uh, Donald Trump, and this is, was an advantage during the campaign, but he does not emote uh, concern um, or pity um, mm-hmm. or um, really any kind of uh, really kind of warmth. He, mm-hmm. he radiates confidence of a sort, um, bravado, right? right. But uh, he um, he seems uniquely ill-equipped to be sympathetic. Mm-hmm. I can't speak about being in a room with him, but on mm-hmm. a, on, a, on a national stage. Yep. And that's really isn't that really what presidents are called upon to do in these kinds of situations? Mm-hmm. I agree with you guys. Mm-hmm. The what the president does either succeeds or fails at um, happens before the crisis hits. It's who uh, Trump has put in place at FEMA. It's right. who he's. It's, it's kind of what he's how how he's equipped those agencies to respond. Mm-hmm. The president passing out styrofoam containers of 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 uh, burritos uh, to, at shelters is not going to change people's opinion. Mm-hmm. It's, what, it's it's how they feel about him doing that. Right. Yeah. So does this, does, I mean, uh, Trump's approval ratings are um, historically low, mm-hmm. but does this hurt him or is he, is he kind of at a point now where uh, Irma and Harvey are probably are, are not significant factors to affect his, his, uh, his approval rating? I mean, I'll, I'll offer two thoughts. One is I think, yeah, it's, because his approval ratings are low, I'm not sure that these can hurt him a lot. Um, They're slamming yeah. against his floor. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I think he's still got some ways he could go down. I mean, I think you know he's up in the high 30s still. Last I checked, sure. and, and I think he you know realistically could end up somewhere in the 20s. I don't think he can go much below that probably, but um, you know, so so he could go down. I mean, if he really really botches it, um, but I think that that is kind of protecting. And I think one of the questions here is. Um, you know, John Kelly is really obviously trying to rein in the president with, you know, not a lot of success so far. So how much can Kelly persuade him to stick to a script, right? If he can get him to stick to a script and if he can 
focus on what we're doing as the national government for these areas and the help we're going to send and so forth. This could actually help Donald Trump. I mean, he could be oh. seen as competent. He could be seen as, you know, doing that. I don't think he can do that. I mean, because the problem Donald Trump has is that he almost always makes it about himself, right? It's something about him. It's about who's attacking him. It's about what he's doing well. And if he can, if he can keep this somehow get the spotlight off himself and onto the situation, this could actually make him seem, you know, more big-hearted than even though he doesn't—he's not particularly emotive himself, um, and that could actually, I think, marginally help him. But I'm not convinced he can pull that off because I, I think then and what I'm saying is that Donald Trump needs to not act like I expect Donald Trump to act, and I just don't right. know if he can do it. I mean, just—I mean, just to sort of uh, focus on that just for a second on your point. Mm-hmm. I mean, sort of the obvious evidence to that point is you know one of the things that President Trump has done is pledge a million of his own dollars to. Right. Relief, which mm-hmm. yes. a million dollars really, when you're talking about this kind of relief, is nothing. I mean, Drop in the bucket. You know, yeah. Yeah. this is this is really yeah. you know pennies. It's um, symbolic. Yeah, right. it's totally. Symbolic. Um, but it, you know, this was President uh, Trump's attempt to, you know, once again put the spotlight on himself to mm-hmm. say, look, I'm mm-hmm. doing something. Mm-hmm. I'm sort of uh, the. Yeah. I want to make myself the hero in this. Yeah. And it'll play well with his base, right? And they'll all right. oh, look. He's very yeah. similar. Like, look, a million dollars is a big deal, right? But, yeah. but I mean, I just don't see that helping him particularly. Yeah, I right. agree with. Anybody who hasn't always already loved him. And I, want to, I want to be clear here. I, uh, we're talking about uh, Donald Trump and his approval ratings and how this affects him. This is a fe- this is the more ephemeral conversation to have. Mm-hmm. What really matters is how U.S. government agencies, as Andy was saying, how U.S. government mm-hmm. agencies and state level agencies right. actually respond to actual people of in course. need. And we're thinking about this to, uh, to the extent that it affects the White House, and mm-hmm. th- that really do- that really is a sideshow sure. uh, in in this in this uh, situation. I like to think of presidents in these situations, in these kinds of crises, as if you imagine the president as a giant pushing on a pyramid. Uh, hold on, hold on for a second here. Um, you, presidents uh, usually push at the tops of pyramids. That's what bureaucracies in the United States look like. Presidents have the greatest control over their the top political appointees. They have the mm-hmm. least amount of control over the, the large bureaucracies those appointees run. Mm-hmm. Uh, you see how the, the president has a, has a lot of control over Rex Tillerson, but the State Department is, is in some places nearly immune to what Donald Trump and Rex Tillerson would want to do with the State mm-hmm. Department, mm-hmm. which is why Tillerson is sort of left with this plan to to selectively atrophy certain parts of the State Department by refusing to fill offices and refusing to fund various parts of it, because the, because the, the the agency itself is recalcitrant to top down right. change. Mm-hmm. So in this case. When Andy's right, when when you know when FEMA's delivering aid, or when uh, the um, when the National Guard is, is is assisting people getting out of flooded houses, that has almost nothing to do with anything Donald Trump can affect, or within a reasonable time period of his of his presidency. Right. And in that way, I think it is a little bit unfair that we either reward or punish right. presidents for the outcomes of some of these crises. Right. I mean, for example, with Bush and Katrina. Right. I mean, like, I'm still not. Just quite sold on you know the level of blame that was assessed on him, right? Because a lot of that comes down to local responders. I mean, you know, maybe Michael Brown could have done more and could have bettered his job and so forth, right? But a lot of that um, does really fall on Louisiana too, right? I mean, they didn't they didn't prepare particularly well. They didn't um, they did not evacuate people, right? And they you know there's a lot of sort of local failure, and a lot of that is it's hard for the president to actually intervene because you have to override local structures when it's really. You know, this really is a problem for New Orleans or for Houston, and it really is more in the sort of, you know, area of authority of the governor of Texas or Louisiana, um, more so right. than the president. And right. so to jump in, you are actually kind of usurping the power and the authority of those lower levels of government in our federalist system. So, you know, I think, that, you know, I can understand why people blame him, but at the same time, it's a little unfair because if he were to grab the power early on and say, I'm taking control of the situation – then that creates other problems, right? He's taking what's right. not really his. Well, let's talk about crises than the president uh, can have greater efficacy <laughs> over. Right. Um, if it's not a hurricane, it's uh, well. Let's, let's let's talk about some of the things that have happened over the last week. Um, the the one the president had the greatest control over because the president initiated the process is Donald Trump announced that he would be. Um, Suspending provisions um, uh, pursuant to DACA, mm-hmm. um, uh, the Deferred Action on Children. Um, oh, I'm, I'm going to mess up the acronym here. Help me out here. Um, well, I, I don't remember the acronym. It's basically 
about children who came over as children who say they weren't born here. If you're born here, you're a citizen here, right? So you were brought over as children by their parents, but they're illegal immigrants. And the idea is um, that you are, uh, you know, they're basically allowed to stay here indefinitely. Um, they can apply and, for work permits. Yeah, they can apply for work permits. Um, can, and, by registering yeah. for this program. Because so it's not their fault, basically, that they were yeah. sort of brought here illegally as children, right? Correct. Um, and this was a piece of legislation that was brought before Congress during the Obama administration. Congress decided not to act on it. Uh, mm-hmm. They didn't vote it down. They just right. they just didn't vote on it. And President Obama said, I'm going to implement this legislation um, by executive order, even right. though um, Congress never voted on it. Which is why it has been uh, entirely within the purview of the Trump White House to simply mm-hmm. get rid of those provisions. Right. Yep. So this affects about 800,000 people who came to the United States mm-hmm. as, as children of, um, by, brought here by, their, by a parent or parents who are undocumented and who have to meet certain criteria. They cannot mm-hmm. have a criminal record. Um, they have to have, uh, I believe, completed high school, either a high school diploma or a GED. Mm. And they have to register with the federal government, which basically they have to admit we are uh, we, we are undocumented, but we have met these certain right. criteria. Right. And then they're allowed to uh, obtain work permits and, and mm-hmm. essentially long term mm-hmm. uh, uh, green cards mm-hmm. or long term long term uh, residency. Uh, re- uh, removing this does not immediately mean that those 800,000 people are, are going to be deported. No. Uh, President Trump has said that this will be implemented six months from now. So the program, in some ways, still kind of rolls along. They're not going to take new applicants to the program, right. but applicants whose uh, whose uh, documentation is about to elapse can actually apply for a renewal mm-hmm. between now and the six month window. And, um, uh, and 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 Trump has vacillated. Um, mightily <laughs> on <Yeah>. this issue, <laughs> um, he basically is making the case that Congress needs to act on this. Right. He wants Congress, if it's as if this is a popular legislation, and he seems to be sympathetic uh, in, in, in some of his communications, mm-hmm. then mm-hmm. Congress is, needs to pass this as legislation right. rather than by executive power fiat. Is that is, is this Donald Trump making a principled stand on uh, executive power, or is this... Um, is this uh, illustrative of the war in his own mind or the war in his own White House about um, uh, repealing uh, the DACA? That's a, that's a hard call. I mean, I, I am honestly not quite sure what the president's up to here. Like, Because in one sense, I, I completely agree with him, right, on this point, that it would be better if Congress would pass a law. I mean, because there's a, a huge uncertainty you're creating for a number of people in this country um, when it, this is relies on executive order, precisely because the president can do what, what the president just did, which is to say, descends, right? And you can't you can't just do that if it's been passed by Congress. So it would be much better for them if Congress could, in fact, pass something like this. It would be a law, and you know, then it's much more stable, right? I mean, so in that sense, I mean, I think he's right, um, and he and he has vacillated. I mean, he said it's going to end in six months. On the other hand, he said if Congress doesn't act on it, he will reconsider it whether he should actually end it. So it's, I mean, it's a little vague on whether in six months it really ends or Trump might renew it. Um, is this just a play to try to get Congress taxed? So I'm not, I'm not quite sure what he's doing. Um, it's certainly creating a lot of angst for people who obviously have had their situation normalized under this provision by Obama, but it does highlight the problem with executive orders. Right. And I, I thought this was a problem when Obama did this in 2014. Right. I mean, like, it's just like you're, you're changing it and you're trying to do good for people and that's great. But what would have been so much better is if you could have um, worked with Congress to actually pass laws and Obama really was a, you know, other than his initial year and a half was very unsuccessful um, at doing that. And I think we're seeing, you know, some of the problems of, of that, that legacy. I mean, his, a lot of his legacy is really ephemeral, um, other than Obamacare, because of um, because of his inability to work with Congress, so I think this is interesting. By the way, just to, to reflect on, on executive power for a moment, mm-hmm. uh, at the end of the Bush administration, John Yoo was a prominent figure who argued for the rise of a powerful executive, mm-hmm. and uh, for various kinds of reasons. But there was fear amongst his uh, his uh, his opponents that. Um, an, overwhelm, uh, an overwhelmingly powerful executive would overwhelm American representative democracy. Mm-hmm. And what we, I think what we see here with, these la- with, with President Obama and now President Trump is with an uncooperative Congress, 
the president does become more powerful because the president's power has grown to act by executive order, mm-hmm. but their power is also, as Andy said, more ephemeral. Mm-hmm. Uh, all it takes is another president to come in, and they can wipe that slate yep. much cleaner than a president who can act legislatively. So although the mm-hmm. presidency is becoming more powerful, that power is also limited in terms of its staying power, too. Right. Right, because there's such a difference between like Obamacare and this, right? I mean, Obamacare was passed by Congress; it is law, and we've seen. It. I mean, the Republicans cannot just get rid of it, right? They can't, and it's and it turns Try out it's really, really hard. Try that they might, right? And it's really hard to come up with, like, okay, so yeah, we want to come up with an alternative, right? But how do you try to deal with some of the problems that Obamacare tried to deal with, and you know, actually come up with a solution we can agree on? That turns out to be really, really difficult, even when you have. The sort of majorities in both houses. So, you know, there's such a difference between laws versus executive orders in that sense. And, you know, Trump is, I mean, going down the path of Obama even more so, right? I mean, so far we have no significant legislation passed. Um, everything is executive orders. And so when he leaves office, if he doesn't you know, start figuring out a way to work with Congress better, he's going to be in exactly the same spot mm-hmm. without, you know, without the equivalent of Obamacare, right? So I think we can say comfortably uh, nine months or eight, eight, nine months into his presidency, we are now we, we his 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 legacy is Gorsuch. Mm-hmm. Um, it may it may expand, but right yeah. now it's the, it's the point. It's a Supreme Court appointee. Yeah, that's his enduring. That's the enduring thing he's done. Yeah. Um, do you think Congress will act on uh, DACA legislation? No. <laughs> Why not? Uh, for a couple of reasons. Uh, number one, uh, part of the reason I think Trump is doing this um, is, once again, I mean, Trump is all about the optics, and mm-hmm. he's very much thinking about this. The DREAM Act, uh, which is what DACA mm-hmm. um, originally is based on, that's the legislation, mm-hmm. um, is essentially uh, something something that uh, does not, has is, you know, is, is, is basically sort of been... Uh, uh, how to say this? I mean, just it's 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 it's, it's something that's not popular with Trump's base. Sure, um, this is essentially <laughs> that's yeah, for sure. Yeah, this is this is essentially this nor- is a campaign issue for him. He promised yes. repeal DACA. He, he promised to repeal it, and so and so this is a campaign promise for him, and uh, this is part of basically his uh, America First policy. We want mm-hmm. to try to remove mm-hmm. people who are um, who are immigrants. We basically want to try to limit the number of immigrants. Illegal. Let's be clear here. Oh, but. Right. Um, but well, for, for, for Trump, I think it's both, um, mm-hmm. and Trump and Trump is pretty has, has been pretty clear on that. I mean, mm-hmm. that, that basically he's not a fan of immigration, period, and that's and and that basically, um, if um, I'm blanking on the exact um, numbers here, but I, I believe a week or two ago he actually started uh, at least exploring the idea of limiting the number of legal immigrants mm. uh, permits allowed mm. for, for the U.S. And I think that's consistent with his campaign. I mean, basically his campaign is... Although we already do limit the number of legal, right? Well, so lower, lower, further, lowering the number. Lowering the threshold. Lower, lowering, lowering the number. Yeah. Um, and, so, and so, yeah, so, so this is basically part of, part of his core core mission. So that's why I'm a little bit um, dubious when he starts to say, you know, he'll revisit it and things like that. I mm-hmm. think this is something that for him is very important um, in terms of in terms of the politics. Now, um, it's, it may be important for for the, for the politics of his base, mm-hmm. how well this plays in terms of, you know, national mm-hmm. um you know the the bro- broader audience, but but Trump doesn't seem to care about that. Um, mm-hmm. is, is is another question. Yeah. Uh, no, go ahead. Yeah, and so 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 getting back to Congress, then is Congress is going to do anything about this? Um, I, the answer I'm going I'm going to say is Congress has some other uh, fish to fry, <laughs> and. Um, I think I think particularly when we're thinking about Congress right now, it's uh, Republican controlled. Uh, many of them are facing mm-hmm. bases that are similar to Trump's, mm-hmm. um, and the people that he's drawing on, they're probably uh, th- their first concern actually right now is going to be thinking about primaries. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, basically the the worry during primaries, which are going to come up in just about a year, uh, well, or even less than that actually. So. Um, and the, wor- the worry for them is that they're going to be challenged by somebody further to the right, and uh, those those people would be, you know, and so basically they're not going to want to look soft on, mm-hmm. on on immigration. So I think this is I think this is a losing issue for for Congress to take up, if, if for Republicans to take up. Mm-hmm. Um, this is why Republicans didn't want to act on it um, in 2014. Um, is basically mm-hmm. they they were worried about the same. Um, you know, this was sort of in some ways, uh, you know, uh, 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 for you know. F- foretelling of, of, mm-hmm. of Trump's coming um, and you know which uh, and so and so yeah so I don't see Congress uh, having either the uh, 
we've you know we've already we've already we're, yeah yeah I mean it's it's guts but it's also you know they 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 don't they don't they don't have the incentive to do it um, mm-hmm. and then they also uh, they've already shown that the party is so fractured that they don't have the leadership and cohesion to to do major acts anyway mm-hmm. um, so I so I see on both those counts I, I don't see Congress acting I think that's Trump you know Trump Trump probably is aware of that at this mm-hmm. point um, mm-hmm. and so you know when he's saying these things I mean he says he's, he says a lot of things on his Twitter feed mm-hmm. um, you know but the but the proof is is sort of in the in, in the actual actions and the actual action is, you know, he's, you know, the program's over. Yeah. I think, I, I think I agree with that. I and mean, I think that's, that's almost certainly right just because of how dysfunctional this Congress really is. But, um, but I'll imagine another possible though, much, much less likely scenario, which is, you know, you could imagine a kind of grand bargain here, right? I mean, this, this is an opportunity because Trump still wants that wall. That's another important campaign prom- promise that okay. appears to be going a whole lot of nowhere right now. Right. And so, um, you know, one possibility would be to come up with a grand bargain, and he is. I mean, he did reach across and work with the Democrats on you know this debt ceiling thing and and continuing resolution. That, yeah. So, you know, I mean, there's at least some opening to talking to them, which is interesting. And uh, and and so you could imagine the Democrats saying, "Look, we would really like to make sure these children are protected, um, and we're willing to work with you on some version of the wall, not a whole wall, obviously, not this big, beautiful, fifty foot wall that he promised at one point <laughs> during the campaign, but something to secure the borders a little more, something that he could." a wall and at least right. kind of declare a moral victory on right um, and so and that could protect Republicans really say look I mean we're, we're working for these children but at the same time we're also securing the borders if you could find some way to do that right if you could kind of bring those two things together that might get everybody some of what they want which is what compromise is about um, ultimately um, you all sort of swallow something you don't really love and you get something you want um, but I think you have to get the Democrats in on this because Otherwise, I just don't see enough support in the Republican Party. And and working across the line is really, really tricky, and they've shown a really limited ability to, at best to do that. So that's why I, mean, I think ultimately I concur with Mitch. I think that's probably the more likely scenario. I'm My hope would be that they come up with something closer to my scenario, which would at least indicate Congress could work a little bit, uh, which would be a, a good thing. But I'm not optimistic. You know, this uh, across-the-aisle uh, point that you've mentioned uh, Donald Trump uh, collaborated with uh, Chuck Schumer and Nancy Pelosi, mm-hmm. um, which I'm sure was thrilling for all parties involved. Um, Especially given his and Mitch McConnell's loving relationship. <laughs> Trump and McConnell have not been getting along. Oh, at all. Uh, yeah. In, you... But, but in, in true junior high fashion, yeah. when asked about it, McConnell said uh, to a reporter, our relationship is fine. It's totally fine. That's right. Um, <laughs> that, see that was Move the end of the quote. Um, <laughs> Get some couples counseling from McConnell and Trump, um, <laughs> but in, uh, the, what, the 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 legislation that they collaborated on with the Trump collaborated on with the Democrats was to uh, raise the debt ceiling right. um, temporarily. Uh, they uh, Republicans had wanted a longer uh, term uh, elevation of the debt ceiling because they didn't want to have to keep voting on it every quarter. Right. Basically, these these votes are painful. Um, they're usually used by certain members of their own parties as well as they have to extract uh, right. certain things um, right. from, and they become political footballs because the danger of not raising the debt ceiling is shutting down the government. Yeah. So instead of getting a longer term um, increase to the debt ceiling. And by the way, I should just mention as an IR guy, we are one of, of the 26 most developed countries in the world of the largest economies. We're one of two that have a debt ceiling. Well, the debt ceiling is, I mean, like, it's, I'll just pop off here for a second. Like, it's absolute nonsense. We always raise it. Right. It's only used as a sort of blackmail kind of issue. Where you try only to get recently has it become a blackmail issue. Only recently has it become one. I mean, like, why even bother? It is an utter waste of everyone's time. Like, if it's supposed to keep our debt down, it doesn't. Um, because we ultimately always raise it so we can spend ourselves further into the hole. So get rid of it and focus on something worth focusing on. Instead, we burn all this time and energy but on doing what we're going to do in the end anyway. But Andy, do you want to be the party that gets rid of the debt ceiling? Um, Think of the optics do. The Bramson party will get rid of the debt ceiling. <laughs> the party will get rid of the debt ceiling. We will make debt we will disappear. Let, by you know, we will that. make debt great again. <laughs> and we will let us focus on something that's other like than saying the my weight problem. That's like saying my, my weight problem is fixed by throwing away my scale. That's right. <laughs> No longer Pretty matters, much. but I mean, in all seriousness, like I mean, I, I'm I would love to see us actually lower the debt, but but we're not, and so as long as we're not going to be responsible fiscally, let's stop pretending that we have this debt ceiling that does something, and focus on doing something useful instead of debating whether we're going to raise the debt ceiling when we're going to raise the debt ceiling. Sure, sure, so, and so I'll, I'll, a, I'll, I'll grant you all that, but I do, 
the reason this debt ceiling deal got passed to Democrats because they loaded into it um, money for uh, hurricane relief for both sure. Harvey and preemptively sure. for Irma. Right. Which so, Republicans didn't want to attach those two. Exactly. Exactly. So um, this raises the question, I wonder, do you think that uh, the Democrats could peel off enough Republicans in the Senate and House to pass um, a version of the DREAM Act? Um, and have and 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 work with Trump to pass a Dream Act that way. It gets really tricky in the House because of the Hastert Rule, and oh. which requires. Can you the Hastert Rule? Uh, yeah, the Hastert Rule, which is a, also I think a terrible rule, but um, it basically requires the, the a majority of the Republicans to be on board with any piece of legislation before it can even be considered. So you need over half the Republicans to be on board um, for that to happen. It's not you can't just like. Have all the Democrats doing it and like forty Republicans, right? You need a, however how many Republicans are in the House now? Like around two forty, so you need about one hundred twenty of them, whatever the number is. Maybe it's not quite two forty, but it's close to that. And that might be a bit hard so. if, if if Paul Ryan's not willing to let them free, right? Yeah. Well, and Paul Ryan. I mean, I, I I would guess Paul Ryan might be okay with it, but he's got to find one hundred twenty people. I mean, so that's and that's not as <laughs> that's a lot harder. I think. Yeah. Fair point. Fair point. Yeah, I mean, real and in some ways, that also would. Uh, it, Paul Ryan. Well, one of the things to kind of keep track of is the Speaker of the House has broad, has broad powers to decide what does and does not come to the floor of the House. Mm-hmm. Um, and basically, uh, without yeah, without getting into the weeds on that, the, the Speaker can more or less decide if they if they want to stop something or if they want to bring something to the floor. So, can he um, override the Hastert Rule? Like, is that or? All, all rules in Congress can be overridden? I think that's I think, you know like by just by discretion. Like he he doesn't have to get the Republicans to vote. Rules committee vote. Like the GOP caucus doesn't have to vote on that, or uh, well, once again, I mean the rules—the rules in Congress are the rules that Congress makes, right? And so they could pretty much change them at will. Sure, they could change it, but like, I guess what I'm asking What's is, the bar who changes, changes it? it? Yeah, like uh, in other words, does it? the GOP caucus have to change it, or would it just be that committee, which would then mean he just needs to get one or two Republicans to join with the Democrats and say bye bye Hastert rule, right? Because that's a that's a key distinction. If you have to have half the GOP caucus getting rid of the Hastert rule, I just can't. It's see not going it. anywhere. I can't yeah, see I can't. Happening. I can't. I actually, I actually can't remember if they've ever written yeah. in the parliamentary procedure. I I'm don't. Not, I'm not sure I don't either. think it is, but I would have. Okay. But I have to go back and double check that. Yeah. Um, so yeah, yeah. That, that's a key question, right? But regardless, like, even 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 with um, all anyway, all that all that I say, it's not going to happen. Right. <laughs> um, and it's it's not going to happen particularly yeah. even even without the Hastert rule. Um, Paul Ryan is not going to want to, uh, you know, basically allow bills to go through that are championed by the other party. Um, uh, essentially because that, that uh, is him ceding leadership and basically saying that he's no longer functioning as the leader of the House, um, you mm-hmm. know, the other party is. And this is ironic, right, in a way, if you think back to congressional history. I mean, how did Reagan get his tax cuts through the House, right? I mean, um, he got them through precisely through that kind of minority action, right, by mm-hmm. through House Republicans making deals with Southern Democrats effectively, right, um, and and getting those kind of things through, right, which would have been completely – yeah, which would have been completely impossible um, if yeah. they'd had the rules that the Republicans now operate under. Basically, Reagan would have been probably just as ineffective or almost as ineffective at getting anything passed as – um, you know, Obama and Trump are being because, you know, that just sort of illustrates sort of how the politics have shifted just in the last three, four decades. Hmm. All right, guys. So far for crises, we've talked about um, uh, hurricanes and DACA and debt ceilings. Um, can I can I can I steer us towards international politics now? Oh, go for it. How worried are you? How, how full is your bunker uh, in preparation for the North <laughs> Korean nuclear strike? I, you know, I'm pretty sure if, if there's a strike, it's going to take me out and I'm not worried about the bunker. <laughs> <laughs> Andy's, uh, um, Andy's, uh, mini Tickle Parsons, right? He's, right. Ready, he's ready to go. <laughs> it's, it's going down. He's going out. Um, he's going to live large. Um, Look, if, if, if you're following the news, you know that over the weekend, North Korea conducted another nuclear test. Yep. Uh, this, their largest, by an order of magnitude, uh, their mm-hmm. previous nuclear mm-hmm. test had a yield of somewhere in the range of, um, of 10 uh, megatons. Uh, this one has a, has a yield in range somewhere around 120 megatons. Wow. And leading some experts to suggest that perhaps they have a hydrogen bomb. Um, which is a um, in a develop uh, an old old technology. This is something the United States had in the 1960s. But um, 
a development on top of a normal nuclear reaction. Uh, hydrogen bomb uh, is a fusion reaction bomb. It produces a much higher explosion. This is what the United States and the Soviet Union had their arsenals for the purposes of leveling cities. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, this does this change our calculus? I'm going to answer my I have to answer my own question here a mm-hmm. little bit, but um, I don't think so. Mm-hmm. I think the biggest problem that American scholarship, as well as um, um, uh, American political leaders, need to need to be to grapple with is um, we have we have recently exited the barn door for several decades, at least since the Clinton administration. Mm-hmm. The United States policy has been about slowing North Korea's nuclear development program mm-hmm. and trying to get them to walk it back. Mm-hmm. That effort, 20 years long, and maybe it was successful in slowing that process down, but we, will, we, can't, we have to abandon that process. We will never get that process back. Right. We're it's never going to enter, uh, unless the regime utterly collapses, right. um, we are never going to hit a situation where North Korea does not possess a nuclear weapon and the capability to deliver it to the United mm-hmm. States. Even if that capability is somewhat um, nascent, right. um, that's that's putting it mildly. Uh, this is this is we we need to, we need to now live and act as though North Korea is a nuclear power capable of using a nuclear weapon against the United States or its right. interests. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's the biggest shift. Right. I don't think a nuclear attack by the North Koreans is imminent. No, no. I mean, um, they, they would be, yeah, they they would be. We, we have a lot more firepower than they do. Whatever they yeah. have, and, right? and, and, we can, and we when, when we talk about nuclear weapons right. this way, we get we begin to speak in very grim terms. Right. Right. Um, and so. The grimmest of terms is this. North Korea could utterly destroy San Francisco right. or utterly destroy Seattle. Right. We could utterly destroy North Korea right. and can, uh, um, assuredly uh, kill Kim uh, Jong-un. Right. And that's ostensibly what he cares about. Right. So the likelihood of North Korea using a nuclear weapon and in, as a first strike capacity is, I think, nearly nil. Oh yeah, I mean, they, and they, cause they can't have any doubt that if they were to hit, you know, San Francisco, right, um, that Trump would shoot back. Yes, right? and there's no way. Like, can you imagine Donald Trump not using nukes if we were used if nukes were used against us? Right? It just, no, that's hard to imagine. Whatever China says and says, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it. I think he'd do it. But so. I can't imagine Donald Trump uh, um, inadvertently precipitating a crisis. Oh sure. Um, yeah. By using conventional means to mm-hmm. try to intimidate the North Koreans to give up a nuclear program, right. or to even try to affect some kind of subterfuge, uh, yeah. um, special operation to affect regime change or something, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and that I think if that if if Kim uh, Jong Un is threatened enough of his own survival, that could precipitate the use of a nuclear weapon, sure. uh, even though we don't want to and they don't want to, and right. that's the real crisis here. Right. I think we need to we need to manage. We we need to manage the North Koreans essentially, right. and, and I'm, right. I th- I'm wondering if containment is, the, which is the classic counter-Soviet mm-hmm. strategy, mm-hmm. is the right way to do that. Right. Yeah. Um, in other nuclear news, uh, Nikki Haley, uh, Trump's representative, the American representative to the United Nations, uh, suggested that if, if Iran continues to be incompliant with the nuclear deal, um, the United States would consider decertification, which would basically abandon the nuclear deal and declare that Iran is, is essentially in breach of contract of the nuclear mm-hmm. deal. Um, that would be a big step back for containing Iran's nuclear program. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, the United States has completed its, its forced study in Afghanistan. And Trump has announced that there's no nukes there, thank goodness. They are next door in Pakistan <laughs> and India. Uh, but um, Trump has announced a very modest troop increase for Afghanistan mm-hmm. uh, on the order. It's not exactly clear how many new troops will be going there, mm-hmm. but somewhere in the range of, of 5,000 or so, which is, uh, by according to most military experts, a don't lose the war kind of strategy. Mm-hmm. Um, this won't fundamentally change things there. Um, oh, no, guys. We're almost at time here. I know. <laughs> Other crises you have your eye on as we as 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 we uh, head off into the fall. No, we hit the big ones. I mean, <laughs> no, no, <laughs> at least for this emerging, week anyway. Nascent emerging crises <laughs> that I should be paying attention to: Brexit <laughs> negotiations. Um, well, this makes Kenya look just kind of fun. Is there a, is there a big flu <laughs> epidemic coming out this 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 winter that uh, I should be aware of? I haven't heard anything bad yet? Okay. Bethel's not advertising their flu shot yet, so it'll be here. 
I give the nursing students their practice. There we go. <laughs> there we go. Although well, one of our colleagues did to say that he, some years back, got stabbed in the bone um, when he went to do... Yeah. Um, yeah. It, it made me hurt. But according to him, they have since been engaged in an extensive training program <laughs> okay. with nursing students in which it involves um, injecting oranges, presumably not with actual... Um, right. Flu <laughs> practice with shots. But anyway, they, they practice on oranges. Although I pointed out to him, oranges don't have bones, so I'm not really sure how this works. I don't know which, 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 which colleague of ours this is, but I assume he encountered a nursing student who he had previously given a bad grade to, and this was her uh, um, way of. Well, he said his mistake was he was the first <laughs> client of the day. Yeah. So, so I think the moral of that bad. story is don't be the first client of the day. Um, but also, yes, probably if you see a student who you give a bad grade to, maybe turn around and just come back. Find later. a different nursing major. <laughs> so I don't want not that one. Which uh, all right, we got we got to go here, guys. But I have to ask you before we head out: which uh, class are you teaching right now that you're pretty uh, you're pretty psyched about, about starting off the semester with? I mean, mine are all fun in different ways, right? I mean, yeah, but which one, you, which one are you really digging right now? Which one are you looking forward to going to class for? Well, I, I mean, I love teaching intro to comparative. It's a classic lecture kind of pr approach. Um, I do We do a fair bit of discussion, but I get to talk a lot about sort of basic concepts. That's a lot of fun. Um, nice. But my other two classes, I know almost all the students because they're senior seminar and humanities. And that's, and cool. that's fun because it feels like we already have a such a jump start on the, our community. Getting um, to know great. you. So, yeah. yeah, I already know yeah. you. <laughs> yeah, uh, I mean, my, I mean, basically, I'm teaching what what is probably just about my favorite class to teach, which is uh, ideologies. So, mm -hmm. um, so I always look forward to doing that one. It's um, you know basically a, a nice mix of lecture and, and discussion. So I, um, you know, uh, especially early on, I usually do a little bit more um, lecturing and kind of get 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 some foundations laid. But then it leads mm -hmm. to um, a lot of really great discussions. And, nice. Um, so, the, so yeah, so I, I always enjoy that one. But I enjoy the Intro to American. And um, this time around, I'm doing, a, I've, this is kind of my 2.0 of this class. Mm -hmm. um, so I've kind of revamped it a little bit. And in particular, one of my main things that I've revamped on it is I've included a lot more films. So, um, so I'm, uh, we'll, we'll find out if that uh, how that how that goes. Um, now you're more fun. I know I'm more fun. Um, although, <laughs> although the thing is, I make films not fun in some ways because uh, I have these extensive handouts that they're supposed to work through as they're watching it. So, um, so you stop the film to, to explain points midway through too. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I need, well, I, I don't yeah. always stop it, but <laughs> just talk, just talk the, over the good at parts. the at the end. I expect students to be able to to be able to remember them. All right. Um, so yeah. So I so 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 yeah. Movies are not are not just for fun but but i still think it's a lot of times uh it's 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 more it's more fun to sort of talk about campaigns when you've you know seen bill clinton campaigning and things like sure. that so mm -hmm. um so so yeah is so that primary that. colors i'm sorry is that primary colors or war room uh war room okay yeah, there you go yeah, yeah no yeah war room um and um, john travolta is the best bill clinton <laughs> Better than the actual book one? Yes. In fact, yeah. he is. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, yeah, but, but I'm also looking forward to policy. Policy is fun. It's sort of like uh, Andy was saying. I already know all the students pretty much. And it's so, fun. Yeah, it's great. Cool. Cool. I'm teaching a new prep this fall, guys. Ooh. I think I've mentioned this before, but I'm teaching um, uh, the, the Politics in Your Food, which is the formal title, but it's Food Politics. It's a freshman, <laughs> so there's a whole bunch of like basic research skills and comp mm -hmm. kind of English composition kinds of objectives that need to get met. But we also get to talk about farm subsidies and foreign food aid and uh, food, ur uh, urban food deserts and mm. um, uh, bureaucratic decisions like the food pyramid. We're going to talk about the mm -hmm. food pyramid today and where it nice. came from and who lobbied for it and against it. Nice. Uh, so that's why I had pyramids in the brain uh, right now. <laughs> um, Fair I'm, enough. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm ready for my for the panopticon and everything. So. All right. All right. Uh, thanks, guys. Uh, we got to go, uh, but we'll come back uh, um, next week or if not next week, then the week after. We'll, we'll have, mm -hmm. we will, there will be a podcast on this channel next week. It might be us. It might be something else. But uh, thanks for listening. On behalf of my colleagues here at Bethel University, you've been listening to Election Shock Therapy. Go Royals. Go Royals.